Welcome to a new episode of No Ride Around. Not the new episode of No Ride Around. Like you just you you have got the perfect Mr. Rogers just like <laughs> hand opening. But this is the last episode of this season. Yeah, yeah. How it cool is. is that? It is. It it's uh, it's been a hell of a year. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know we uh, we talked about how we were gonna cap this thing off, and I love when the universe just aligns and gives us everything perfect. Right, gives us what we need at the exact right moment, and this year was really kind of a big story thread throughout the whole year has been your move from bike race participant to bike racer, and then how we've done that through Dawn to Dust coaching, and then how we've done that through No Ride Around, and then all of the events accordingly. So it's been a cool thread throughout the whole year, and how perfect that we culminate the season with our final event, which was actually named Dawn to Dusk in Arizona. Right. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a good bow. It was. It was, um, I think it, it, it wrapped everything up pretty nicely. Um, and it was a unique experience to be pursuing a race as part of a four-person team because this is a pretty individual sport. Right. Um, and even within the, the context of um, something like Breck Epic or Silver Rush where we have a lot of racers or Firecracker 50 where we as a team have a lot of racers, um, we're all still competing against each other. Yeah, and, and doing our own thing. Like it's all camaraderie up until like, Til the start gun morning. goes well, off. Like, like race morning, really on race mornings, even if you're in a house full of people, on race mornings everyone kind of walks their own path. And if you don't say hi, it's not – a big deal like you're not expected to yeah everybody has their own pre-race yeah. r- rituals and procedures and things that makes them ready to to line up yeah but this one was different totally so, different um let's just get into it because I th- if, if you've been listening to the podcast for if you followed through this fourth season now with us then you've heard i've done this event three previous years yeah um as a two-man team and and so maybe you already know what i'm about to tell you but the short of it is zia rides puts on 12-hour race events across the Southwest. So they've got one at Royal Gorge. I've done that with Chad as my partner. We had a bunch of no-ride-around people out there do that in different team organization. They do one at Royal Gorge. They do one down in New Mexico. It's like 12 hours in the Enchanted Forest or 24 hours in the Enchanted Forest. I saw that one. Um, They do this Tommy Knocker 10-hour one in New Mexico. And then they do this 12 hours dawn to dusk AZ, um, which – the name is just a coincidence. We know that I named my company yeah, yeah, differently. Yeah. It was uh, after a speech from Roman Urbina, the founder of of La Ruta. But I did make it a point to go talk to Seth, who's the race director for uh, Zia Rides, and say, hey, there, you're going to see like eight to ten people on course with this logo. This is what it is. And him and I have a good rapport, so it was good stuff. But yeah. it's a multi-lap format, 12-hour race, mm-hmm. 16.2-mile course with about 1,000 feet of gain, just under 1,000 feet of gain each lap. And you do as many laps as you can from 7 a.m. to a hard stop at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, consequently, if you come in at 7.02 p.m., <laughs> the lap doesn't count. It does not count. <laughs> um, and we did it as a four-man team, and we had two four-man teams as a combination of people that are, have done dawn to dusk events or coaching this year. 
And then we had uh, Brian out there doing solo and Amir out there doing solo and our buddy Roz um, doing a duo with a, in a co-ed format. So we had like, uh, yeah. And his, his partner actually uh, is from Boulder. Yeah. She works with Pearl. She works with Pearl. Yeah. Put that yeah. all together. That was pretty cool. Right. Yeah. She's a gravel, gravel gal from yeah. Pearl and she's, she's, she's fast and super competitive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was, she, uh, we were lined up waiting for the transition together for the, for our first laps. And, um, she was chomping at the bit pretty hard. Yeah, she she was she was ready to fight out there. Yeah. Uh, she's using a bike for the weapon. She's also I don't know exactly what her affiliation is, but she's got her like a gravel team uh, called the Ride or Die Collective. Yep. Um, that I think is just for women. Yeah, women specific, yep. and they actually have a an awesome assortment of like riding. Like their branding is cool, mm-hmm. and so um, if you're listening, you got a lady in your life who you want to ride bikes. They or do. if you're a lady listening. <laughs> There are, if you are part of that 1.4%, thank you, first <laughs> yeah, off, yeah. Um, and buy their stuff. It's cool looking. So we had, we had, that's a good amount of people. That's 12 people that were affiliated with us in our campground area had um, the eight of us. Mm-hmm. Solo guys don't have a campground because solo guys don't stop. Yeah, they don't come off the course really. So, um, but our campground was awesome. So we had eight people, and then once you're racing, there's six people there, right? For yeah. the most part, you mm-hmm. know? So there's a lot of... Inner race camaraderie, banter, hanging out, all of the things, and just such a different vibe from a normal lock and load, you know, hundred k, hundred mile race format. Yeah, um, it's hilarious. So I, there's a hundred notifications that go to Molly as to once my my Wahoo head unit is going, she gets a notification that I'm riding. She gets a notification when I'm finished. Um, my Apple watch, if I have a crash, she, she like gets that notification. Um, and my first lap ended right at about 9am and she texts me, you're done racing already. <laughs> and it occurred to me that I had not explained what we were doing at all. All she knew is that I had a race. <laughs> right. I would have loved if you didn't clarify, I'm sure then you clarified to her what was going on. Yeah. I but did. you should have just left her in the dark. She would just see brief bouts of heroic ability <laughs> and then long bouts of – she'd be like, are you racing? And then just having heart attacks throughout the race. Right. Uh, or I, – I, and I, I really think that her um, her initial confusion was, did you just ride all that way or drive all that way? For a one-hour race. For a one-hour race. <laughs> yeah, no, I did it for three one-hour races. I did it for three one-hour races. Thank you very Space much. It's not over 12 hours. Mind your business. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm I did so- the, as- the acai bowl that I had the day before. Those were the highlights. <laughs> um, that was a $15.80 acai bowl. Yeah, it wasn't very good. No, uh, it wasn't that great at all. Um, um, I was disappointed. But um, eating an acai bowl in short sleeves in sunny Scottsdale weather... I was I was not disappointed by that awesome. at all. No, yeah. <laughs> not even a little the, bit. I'll take the price tax in December for that. So that's what we had done, and we had our, our two four man teams, and just like total umbrella on this one, I was so jacked and proud about how everybody did because having done many twelve hour team events, it's inevitable that you get a rider at a point that doesn't want to go out. I won't forget the story Uncle Mental told me about years ago, his first 24 hours of adrenaline race, and he wasn't, uh, he was asked to be on a team, so he didn't really know a lot of people. And at one point, a guy refused to come out of his tent and do any more laps. He says, <laughs> I'm done. 
And so, uh, my you can't uncle, do that. <laughs> yeah, no, my uncle ends up running like three night laps in a row. Ugh. And they end up beating like the REI team that was out there and second only to like the National Geographic team. Or so. I don't know, this is back in like 1865. So I don't know what teams were around then, but it was actually the first year mountain bikes were around. Yeah, it was. They're called gravel bikes now, but <laughs> it was that. Uh, so anyway, we didn't have anyone on our teams get in a bad mood or a bad attitude or no, say, I, I don't want to go ride. Now, some of you may have been there. I did not want to go ride. <laughs> no, just, just, it was not, ver- it was not vocal. I just kept that shit to myself. <laughs> <laughs> like a real American male. <laughs> like, <laughs> Keep that up. <laughs> well, so it was interesting. You know, we talked about this a little bit yesterday uh, when you were running from a snowstorm um, in your in your van coming back. Um we didn't really nothing we did this year prepared the motor for one hour max efforts spread. There's first of all, there's nothing you can really do. I don't think to like very little right. you can do. Right. Uh, but most importantly, you know the these six hour races, these or three day six day races, it's not really in your best interest to do. To go blast out all the matches. Right. Right. Um, and with this race format, it was best if you went and for just easy understanding, let's say you have 10 matches to burn on a one hour lap. Yeah. You could have burned all eight of them in the first 35 minutes mm-hmm. to climb and be left with two, like, you know, in like those skanky matches, like yeah. the wooden ones that broke halfway. Yep. And so you're like, man, I'm going to use this, but I got to use it quick. Mm-hmm. You could have like two of those mm-hmm. out of the 10 left and be fine for the second half of it. So that's really tough to go from resting to I'm going to burn 80% of my effort to go half the course, but then still give effort and yeah. then repeat this. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, nothing we did really. The only thing that I would say, and, and I didn't get to say this and I kind of wanted to save it for today. I think, you know, that my third lap, I, I was really not interested in. I was... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, but I knew that there was just that I knew that we were going to have a shot at 12 laps. Um, and I knew that I, I had to do my lap. I knew it wasn't going to be this 11 lap thing where if you could have done a third and I could have stuck with a second, you know, like yeah. I just knew that that third lap was happening. And so what was it me eating Indian food? After my second lap, that really solidified, oh, he's not going to go take that lap for me. Because <laughs> no. I posted up with Indian food real quick after my second. Could have been my final lap. No. Okay, good. No, I, I just, when we started looking at the math, and I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go out at 350. That puts me back at the latest. Like, if I have a horrendous lap, that puts me back at five. Yeah, And then Shane's been running about an hour. That gives... Justin, an opportunity to potentially do an, you know, a, a 56 to 58 minute lap, you know, like I'm sitting right. there doing, I was like, well, I'm not going to be the one that, that holds us back from potentially being able to get 12 laps. Right. Um, so what I will say though, is even though none of our training was specifically geared towards, you know, thresh, I mean, I would say it's VO2 max. Yeah, it's above threshold. It's mean, it way was, above threshold. Yeah, I mean, it was max efforts. My norm, my average, my average normalized power over all three laps was two fifty six. Yeah, and my threshold supposedly is two two fifty. So. Yeah, so that's that's a hell of a day. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, what I will say that this whole year has brought to my fitness is durability, right? So my last lap was the slowest of my three, but I think that's pretty common um, across the whole race. Um, even Chad, who was laying down absolute burners, um, his last lap was big air quotes, his slowest, right. but it was still under 54 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it was just like, I knew it was going to hurt. Like the last lap, I knew it was going to hurt. I knew it was, you know, the copper feeling like the, mm-hmm. you know, we always joke about tasting blood, like that just like negotiating with yourself to stay in there. I knew it was going to hurt, but I also knew that we had fueled correctly the night before. I knew we had fueled correctly during the day. I knew the legs would do it if I asked them to. I just didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. And I loved your response. I was trying to, I was trying to give you things like, hey, for that last lap. And you just said, you know what? I'm just going to go and make it hurt the entire time. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, yeah, he doesn't need anything else. That's, <laughs> that's it. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no one, no one, no one like curled up into a ball. Um, I've curled up in a ball at that event each year that I had done it. Yeah. The problem was I was on a two man team and, and, and my partner was on course. So I was no one, there was no one for me to share that curled up moment. <laughs> right, right. And no one to bail me out. So I had to go back out. Uh, but you're right. The training that we did this year, not specific to that. And nah. you said like, well, there's really nothing we really could have done. Um, my only interjection to that is the two weeks prior to this race, weather and schedule kind of had me trapped indoors. And so I coached a few cycle classes and then I took, I did a few indoor workouts on my own. Mm. And all of them that I did were one hour or shorter hammer sessions. Yeah. And I did that to just like fine tune that top end of the machine a little bit, just to screw those bolts down a little and say, okay, they're ready. Um, and I think it did prepare me a little bit more. Yeah. Like I looked at my times and even I, I was faster this year than I was any of the three years that I've done it. Mm-hmm. And like globally, my times ended up being something I'm, I'm pretty proud of. I was looking out on the way home. And I think that those few sessions in the previous two weeks helped, but ultimately if I were to ask you right now, much like we did at the end of last season or two seasons ago when LaRuda came up, I could pretty much ask you, hey, Harley, do you want to and insert any type of mountain bike event right now? In the training we did this year has not only prepared your body, but also your mind and your confidence to say, yep. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think that there's a race format right now that at this point I'm prepared for it all in oh, the, yeah, in the sense of like experience, fitness, on down the line. Right. Um, there were some things that I, I packed pretty heavy for this trip. So fitness wise, I didn't hesitate for a second. And to your point, um, I'll walk what, what I said back a little bit. Cause I did add a lot of like 30 thirties and like big sprint stuff, um, to, to get that top in that I don't really ever live in. Right. Um, so absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, but there was X factors, about, well, I've, I've raced for 12 hours, but I haven't been at a race venue for 12 hours, but only raced for three. So from before clothing, after clothing, food during the day, I mean, I brought a ton of shit because I just didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, I noticed that you guys all stayed in your kits the whole day. And after each lap, I'd peel my kit off and put on, I had like board shorts and a, like a Mela. Yeah. Um, and so I just throw on like a long sleeve and board shorts and kick just to get out of them, you know? Yeah. 
Um, I also had my van right there, which was kind of your van was there. You, know, you I probably didn't share have it with anybody. Right. <laughs> Notice yeah. nobody stood inside of my van. No. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, we got the van here, and that helps just me. But. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of good lessons. Um, I did find myself enjoying the the team aspect of it, you know, um, and it was so funny the way things evolve, you know, cause we talked about this maybe two, three episodes ago and announced that our team was going to be me, you, Ryan and Shane. And we're like, that's a fast team. And then some Don to dusk athletes had to drop out for work obligations and family obligations, et cetera. And the other team became the really fucking fast team. Real fast team. <laughs> um, and it was, once that team was established and who was on it, um, it was like, okay, those are of the two teams. And I don't say this with like f- bad feelings. It's just like, okay, that's the fast team right. of, of these two teams. Yeah, it's just, you know, um, we talk a lot about living in reality. Yeah. That's reality on that. It's just reality. But then the hilarious thing, and uh, it's always under the context of the people that we're around are generally really fast. Right. So, so our team, me, you, Shane, and, and Ryan, we were still fast. Yeah, of 42 teams, we finished in fifth place. We got fifth place, which, you know, first through third was just on a whole different discussion. And then fourth got fourth ahead of us because of what we'll cover. Like, um, we actually passed them on course. It's just our 12th lap didn't count. Yep. So we were really back to back with our two teams. Yep. Um, out of 42. So, yeah, you're right. Like, we were still super fast. Yeah. Um, and I didn't feel also, uh, you know, as the fastest guy that was on our four pack, I wasn't sitting there going, man, if I was on that team, we'd win the thing. You know, like, I was trying to articulate the event afterwards to somebody and I told them, I'm like, man, we're just there to have a good time. And they kept saying, I mean, well, yeah, but like, and I go, no, there's no buts. Like yeah. the, we were there to have eight people race really hard under the umbrella of this thing we've done all year and to celebrate what we're able to do on the bike, which is really what you want. We get to the point now where you can do what you want on the bike on a race course. Um, so cool things got to happen. And, you know, that team finished third overall, and we finished in fifth overall. They got 12 laps. We got 11 laps with a 12th that came in a little late. And uh, I tell you what, the sushi tastes the same for everybody when we got to yeah, totally. Oki Sushi in Fountain Hills. After like that. a high-end sushi restaurant and a bunch of dirtbag, stinky mountain bikers rolling. Unshowered. Roll in, unshowered. 11 guys roll in for sushi. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I don't know about anybody else, but I tipped well. Uh, even though that guy did not deserve it. Um, so what happened? Well, when you do a 12 hour race, you do the four racers in a row. That's just my way of doing it. The other teams did some other things or people that did some back to backs, but mm-hmm. in this type of course, 16.2 miles and, uh, you got to average under an hour to get the 12 laps in, which is what's going to be winning times. You go back to back. And so we started off with, uh, Ryan Bennett went first and he took off on the, it was a mass start, so he went first, then you rolled a lap, then Shane, and then I was the anchor. And it continued like that throughout the day. 
um, really without incident and with fast lap times being thrown down. But the rules of the road are you must pass through the start-finish area prior to 7 p.m. So you have to do sooner than sooner than 7 p.m. Right. And we got down to it, and it's kind of like in the wire, like up to the wire, rather. And Shane went out for his lap at just about... I mean, he. I, I was literally back at... His his lap started at four fifty nine, so he started at four fifty nine, and we're doing the math. We're doing the math with we're in fifth place this time, and there's a team in fourth. And the fourth place team, um, they're all part of the same group, and I I recognize their kits. And so I passed them every lap I went out out there. I passed them Uh, in my second lap. The guy tried to hang onto my wheel, like fully tattooed up, skinny XC racer dude. So when I passed him, like all right, he's gonna try to hold my wheel, and then I took it as a personal offense. (laughs) <laughs> and just dropped the hammer, which was great. Gave me my fastest lap time of the day. So they were already out on course. And I knew it was up in the air whether or not I would even need to do a lap. And so I kind of had it in my head that I wasn't going to race the lap. I'm sitting there at the campground and I'm not in my clothes. Like I'm just in my, I'm in my chill wear. Yep. I'd eaten a big bowl of Indian food. Um, and, I'm, and I'm thinking this lap's probably not going to happen. And then the longer I wait, I go, you know, the lap could maybe happen. And then it went to the lap could maybe happen. It could probably happen, but would it change anything? Right. And that's kind of where we were with like about 20 minutes before Shane was going to roll through. Yep. And it's just you and I at the campground. And I go back to my 2016 Wausau 24 where I didn't do any extra laps even though I could have. Uh-huh. And it haunted me for a year because the race announcer was like, oh, this was a tight race when they did the final results. And it wasn't. I was ahead of these guys by like 90 minutes, but I sat at the finish line waiting for the time to click over. And I, and I remembered I would never do that again. And so I did it that following year. So that's what went through my head as we were at the campsite. And I'm like, dude, gear up. So I geared up. I get my bikes geared up. I get the lights put on. No shame. I grab a Rockstar Energy out of the fridge in the van. Yeah. Now, why would you be? <laughs> slammed that guy, that trucker trash down, and then got to the start line. And I'm sitting there at the start line, and I'm going, okay, I've run, uh, my first lap was 54.30. My second lap was 53.38, which was second fastest lap on the day yep. behind Chad. Yep. Chad had two fat. Chad was yeah, so fast. He was just on fire. He had a 51 and change. Like, 51.36. He set course record out there for yeah. the fastest lap. It was pretty awesome. So I had fast laps, and I go, okay, if Shane comes in before 6.05, that was what I got down to. I was like, yep. 55 minutes, I could do this. Right. And then some people hanging out there were like, well, 6.05 in seconds or 6.05 like hard stop? And I was like, all right, 6.05.59, like I'll give it that yeah. far. Yep. And then I got to go out because anything could happen. The fourth place team's already out on course. I could pass them, or they could, you know, it's dark now. They could go into a cactus, right? Yeah. Colin Donovan is out there on the on, from our faster team in third place, but he's never ridden at night outside of like bike path riding. Yeah, and he's out there with borrowed lights from Nolan, and he doesn't know he doesn't know so nothing from nothing. I'm pretty sure he already is in a cactus, but like high up, like a cartoon character, and like stuck in it. <laughs> Which he had done the lap before, incidentally. <laughs> so, so I was like, well, wait a second. If I go out there and pass the fourth place team, and then Colin is like eight feet up in a cactus, just stuck there. Which I can't help him when I'm racing. I'm sorry, buddy. Bye. Yeah. I'm like we could take third we could, place. We could get in the third. Um. So I know I had to go. If he if he rolls in before six oh five fifty nine, 
outside of that, it's just, it's not going to, it's, it's just unrealistic to do an on par fast lap at night in the dark. Yeah. yeah. That's the variable. So arguably having to deal, you know, that the big thing, there's a lot of traffic on the course, but then like night traffic right? with people who aren't experienced night riders. It's so, a lot. <laughs> so as people are coming through, the announcer keeps announcing, if you go out on course, you got to be done in an hour, 59 minutes, 58 minutes. And so really discouraging people from going out there yeah. because, you know, then they got to wait for their sweep. So, well, Shane rolls through at 50, at 04. Yep. Giving me 56 minutes to get a lap down. Now, having done a 54.30 and a 53.38, like this is possible, right? Seems even in the dark. So... I got to throw it on a 56. No, I still have my puffy on. And as you said, I like peeled my puffy off. And I, You got like one arm, arm out of it? And handed that arm to you. And then like just like stuck your arm behind you? And rode away. And rode away. Hoping you were holding on to it. <laughs> yeah. I've, listen, I've tried enough clothes on in Nordstrom's dressing room to know how this works. <laughs> the dude behind you takes the rest of the jacket off. And you're perfect. <laughs> so I rip out of there. And I was the last bike on course. Because at that point... A rider needed to know they could do a 56-minute lap in the dark. And so I peeled out knowing, like, I was just the last person to get on this course. They would. That was kind of mind-blowing to me that they would let somebody go. The, the, their hard cutoff is 6'10 to let somebody out on course. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 I guess you don't want to discourage that 50-minute course record lap set. Course record at night at the end of the day. Um, so I peel out and I go, 56 minutes. Now – the way my lights are set up, I run the outbound lighting, which I'm a giant fan of outbound lighting. And the way it hooks onto my RSL bars is through the mount that my bike computer is usually mm-hmm. on. So it sits as a perfect headlight, but that means my bike computer is not on my bike. And so it has to go in my jersey pocket. So I'd hit start on my computer while I was still waiting for Shane and just put it in my pocket. And so I'm not going to be able to know my time. So I had no time awareness while I was out there. And to run a 56 in the dark, I knew that I couldn't give up time on the climb and dark on a climb or light on a climb is kind of irrelevant. It's a climb. So just go to work. So I hammer the climb and I'm just, every time my legs said, Hey, this might be the limit. I just drove them harder. or got out of the sack. Like I, I stayed pinned the entire climb and I passed three people with lights on in the climb and I'm looking for that other team. And yep. none of them were those three. I end up topping out on the climb and I'm going to start the descent. Now I open up my suspension because I was locked out the whole climb. I open up the suspension. And I start going. And there's a set of lights coming back at me. And I'm a little freaked out, right? I'm like, <laughs> so I start hollering. And I'm going up this steep climb. And these lights are coming after me. And I'm hollering. Just a little punchy climb. And the rider gets out of the way. It was a, a female rider. Come to find out. It was a Mears Trailhead Racing teammate, Sarah. Yeah. Her eyes went wonky. And she couldn't see. So she was riding backwards on course to that to, to, to mile like the nine road. aid station mm-hmm. yeah. to then be like taken back yeah. or ride the road back. So I pass her and I go up and I just have to stay on it. And this is where this is where the penalty of the darkness came into play. Because the way that course is set up, from about mile 11 through 15, you're virtually downhill. Um, and it's fast. Like fast. So my average speeds on that were 23 to 29 miles an hour on that section. Um, in your, but it's not straight, right? It's straight ish with these turns and these turns, whether they're soft or a little bit more than soft are in and around cacti. Yeah. Right. And so, or as our team like to call them all weekend cactuses, cactuses, 
dude, I had to say something, man. <laughs> I was like, how is this group of relatively well-educated people getting this wrong for days on end? <laughs> I think we just, once you just, it's Lord of the Flies situation, man. Like we all just kind of become one and one person stuck yeah. with it and we all just rolled. It was, yeah, I was disappointed in everybody. That was so, my only source of disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to weave around the cacti, but at 20, you know, 25 yeah. miles an hour. Which is challenging if you're going fast. It's challenging in the daylight with good visibility. Right. Because you got to look up ahead. And you made this comment to somebody when they hadn't ridden at night. You're like, well, you know, just make sure you keep looking up the trail. You can do that to a point, but... Only as far as your lights go. As far as your lights can go. So I really kind of live in this little bubble when I night ride. And I just take it at... It's almost like playing tennis at the net where you're just taking it in as fast as you can real time. Right. Right. So... I realize I can't do it at my max speed. And so I'm pulling more brake and I'm not coming off the gas. I just, I have a, I have a limiter. Like I can only go so fast yeah. um, or I'm going to end up like in, like inside of a cactus, like Colin, who's <laughs> yeah. out here somewhere eight feet up in a swarrow somewhere. Yeah. So I'm hammering, but I know I'm not as fast as I could be, but I got to play it safe. And I think I'm within 56 minutes. I'm like, you know, I, I it's going to be a hard lap, but it's, it's within reach. So I'm coming around, coming around, and sure enough, I pass the fourth place team. Yeah. I come up on the guy and I see his bibs. Now he must have put a jacket on because I thought he went out without one on. And but I saw his bibs. I pass him. Um, so I know I'm flying. I'm like, cool. We're in fourth now. And so I'm scanning for Colin to be twisted up yeah. somewhere. Um, I never see him. I make the turn onto mile 15, uh, and I'm like, all right, we're 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 getting there. I'm out of the saddle. I'm punching. It's twisty. I'm still respecting my speed. I blow a corner. Hard. Like I come off the bike with one leg and kind of skirt, skirt BMX through was a bunch it, was of softer. Because there's, it was it, those two areas. Those two like hard lefts that are like off camber with rocks. It was it was after one of those turns you come onto like one of those kind of dirt side hills. Mm-hmm. It was right there. Yeah. And I swept off the course and had to peg a foot and then jump back in and keep. And I'm like, all right, that probably cost me 20 seconds. Right. I'm doing it in my head like the deceleration, acceleration, all the stuff. So when I came around to the finish line, I truly didn't know if I had made the 7 p.m. cutoff. I had no idea. I just knew that was fast. Um, when I saw 7.02 and all of you guys at the start line in the chicane right there, uh, I couldn't live on like a higher level of, uh, you know, whatever existence. I couldn't look down at myself and say, this is the right way to act in this moment. Yeah. I was just... Thoroughly disappointed. Yeah, in that moment, you're just a bike racer that wanted a thing. Yeah. Had arguably made really good moves towards a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, 58 and, the, and then just missed it, right? 58.30 lap time. Yep. Um, needed, to be fi- needed to be 56.30. Came in at 7.02. Yeah. Dismounted. I can't believe the lady still told me, slow down and dismount. I'm like, I mean, the race is... All the way over. So everything about the race was great and appreciate her being out there calling people out, but she needed to get over herself with the walk through the transition area thing. <laughs> I think you can make a really strong argument that everybody out there that's signed up for a 12 hour event is an experienced mountain biker and can control a bike down a straight chute that's 10 feet wide. And if you're a novice who's never done it, you're already getting off the bike Yeah, and you're going to be super conservative. 
the number like the she was the lifeguard of the pool. Don't dude, run. She was so I, it made me so angry. If I'm lifeguard of the pool and this kid keeps running, I'm just waiting for him to slip and knock his head. Like yeah. you'll learn. Yeah, she on my I think I was going out for my second lap. Ryan came through like half cyclocross dismount. So mm-hmm. one foot still on the pedal, but drag and brake going slow. And she yelled at him from the time he crossed the timing mat until he was at the bottom of the chute. I could I could still hear her scolding him as <laughs> I'm taking off for my lap. <laughs> so I come through, I get off, I see it's 702. I kind of give my bike one of those emphatic bounces on the you ground. You gave it a bounce. And uh, Chris Grobe rolls up. He was on the faster team. Um, dude, he's such a nice guy. He comes up and he goes, man, he's a, that was still a super fun lap, fast lap. And I was like, yeah, bro, I need like two minutes. <laughs> I just need a minute. <laughs> just pedal off. And just need a minute. Um, now, to the point you made to me before I went out on the lap, whether we were in fifth or in fourth, it wasn't on a podium. Mm-hmm. And so it was pretty irrelevant. But the idea of being fourth versus fifth. But fourth is I mean, better I, than fifth. I have checkered flag vans. Like yeah. I, I'm a racer. Yeah. And so if there's a chance to get fourth, and then to know we actually got fourth, and then I didn't have it count. Now, had I been able to see my computer, would I have changed things? Like, no. I mean, I at no point was I like saying to myself, I'm going to go slower here because I think I have extra time. Right. So I was trying to go my fastest. Um, the only data I have to look back on was my heart rate. And for my first two laps, I was – at or above threshold the whole time, blocked out in, in the 80s of percent of max heart rate. And on that third lap, I was, ab- again, above, at or above threshold the whole climb. And then the descent, I dropped to like my 70% range. I was at the top end of it, but I, can't, I came off a little, just the nature of riding at night yeah. on a fast descent, I could only go so hard. And so the time was out there to get, I just wasn't able to get it. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I was... I was bummed. I'm glad I did the lap, right? Because net net, it was the same result as if I would have just stayed at the tent and hung out. Um, but I like being able to show you always go, right? And yeah. that's like our ethos for no ride around for everything. That's our ethos. Like you always go. And so I went and there wasn't a lot of trail traffic. And it was awesome to just be able to use kind of like all four lanes of the highway when you're driving yeah. at 1 a.m., that's how I felt on the trail, like using all, probably slowed me down. It's where my two minutes were like riding all over the place. <laughs> um, but it was damn cool to like button up the event that way and at least go for it. Yeah. And look, looking at the results from the year before and doing the, well, if we do this, if we do that, thinking about, you know, I looked at last year's results and this is one thing that I'm, I'm not going to take anything away from the, the first and second place teams because they rode really really fast but um years gone by the winning team like the the winning teams in the four man uh four men quad was 11 laps right and this year the top three guys teams were all at 12 all at 12 and fourth and fifth were chomping at 12 finished 12 laps just not in the cutoff right um and and so on my lap Every time I felt myself backing off, I had that like, what if, like, what if I get in fast enough to do, to give Shane the time, to give Justin the time. And it was one of those, 
you, you know, you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. It's like, take the shot. Like yep. the worst that happens is that you end up in fourth, the best that happens and you would never wish and really wish any ill will towards an actual teammate. But what if Colin was up in the swarrow? Well, yeah. And so, you know, all this, all of a sudden you're, you are, you know, it's racing, it's racing at night. Anything can happen, especially for an inexperienced night rider. Now it turns out that Colin Donovan has the pituitary gland like the size of a grapefruit and just loves mountain biking that he just pinned it super hard and had a ton of fun and is a talented mountain biker and now loves night riding and now loves night riding and uh it should be noted he went out on the lap um instead of another guy on their team and so actually uh he rode four laps which is more than any of us yep so he went out there and rode four 16 mile laps for those of you that are really good at doing math he did 100k yeah right and all as hammers, like yeah. he threw it down. And then also, you know, another little hat tip is he actually did crash into a cactus the lap before and yeah. had to go to medical and had to have it pulled out. Like 15 minutes, he said, of them pulling out. And he, I saw him back in our camp area gearing up, like pulling his arm warmers on and making wounded animal noises as he's pulling them up his arm. Um, so just tough motherfucker <laughs> yeah and uh, but it was that what if story is like why not take the shot and i realized that's easy for me to say as the one who didn't have to go rip a 56 minute lap <laughs> in at night but as a team a team effort you know i didn't balk on my third lap even though i super duper wanted to and you didn't balk when it came to the, the being the anchor right and I guess we were out there to ride bikes. So like so why not sit around in camp chairs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I woke up this morning at my house to come here and by some weird freakish alignment of the clouds, there's an inch and a half of snow at my house and there's no snow here at the shop. But, uh, I woke up to an inch and a half of snow and it's one of those things that I'd sit there and go, well, man, I'd really take a 16.2 mile night lap on dry trail right now. Yeah. Um, as yeah. opposed to the snow that I can't go ride in. Yeah. Uh, I think that same way, like when I eat food, you know, I always eat every every piece on the plate, even if I'm stuffed, because I go, you know, I don't want to be hungry in three hours and be like, man, I really wish I would eat that last green bean. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So we were there to ride bikes. Like go go ride in the, in that format. Always do the ride. Like if you have the potential, always do the ride. Um, you're not going to regret it. And so uh, I didn't. And that's what allowed me to get from that, hey, Chris, I need two minutes to, to wheel this out. And I just simply rode to the van, got out of my sweaty clothes, put on other clothes, grabbed the fireworks I had bought in New Mexico and came to the finish shoot for the awards to celebrate, you know, our team that did get third. Yeah. And, and Elander, who got who first. Won, won the overall solo first place. And Amir, who won the solo masters 50 plus, um, they rode some mileage, dude. I mean, Elander yeah. did 11 laps by himself. Yeah, he did 178 miles. Amir did 10 laps solo. Yeah, that's like, just... They rode monster. I mean, it's 160, 180, almost 180-mile lap days. Yeah. Brutal. Uh, brutal. Celebrate them. Celebrate our guys. And that was a hell of an event. It was cool. Everything was, you know, from the, the MTV Cribs Palace... That we stayed uh, that in. That we stayed in. It was ridiculous. And it was so funny, too, because, like, I should have, you know, I got buddies who don't race, but they're 
they put up with me like sending them pictures of Ray stuff and um I didn't think to take any pictures of the house until after we had all been in there for a day and a half and it looked like 12 mountain bikers were staying right. staying in the house um but the house was amazing um I had a funny realization cuz I think I've told you in the past I'm not a desert guy yeah I'm not a I'm not a Moab desert guy. Oh. I'm an Arizona desert guy. I we were driving back and I love, I mean, the second we got into Arizona, I was just like, oh yeah, this is beautiful. It's so pretty out there. The I similarly I was driving after I passed through Trinidad and I'm coming north before I get to Pueblo, I'm looking up and, you know, there's big mountains. There's 14ers out here. Mm -hmm. Um, Our skyline at that time, I was yesterday, I was getting sunset. And so I'm looking at the sunset with our skyline and then remembering the sunrise I saw the morning before in the Arizona skyline. The Arizona mountains are just, they're, they're, the white mountains are like craggier, rockier, chunkier, like more of like spiny, gnarly ridgelines. So when the sun comes up behind them, it's kind of like that painting picture. Ours are a little softer rounded at the top you know what i mean yeah um the desert in moab is kind of just like stark and not a lot going on other than i mean obviously beautiful rock and arches and all that stuff and 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 guys i'm not talking i understand that the riding in moab is top shelf but as a total experience yeah visually arizona's got there's like on that race course alone we had like 13 different kinds of cactus you go yeah bennett was judging the place he was on the course based on the type of cactus he was in at the time <laughs> so he knew when he got to the choya this is yeah. the fast like yep. ripping towards the end you know so yeah it's it's really pretty out there i mean um i'm glad you had that realization because i'm gonna be drawing you down to arizona as much as possible yeah i mean i, I i'm sitting there thinking like does arizona need another bike shop and the <laughs> answer is no largely because i don't need another bike shop but it sure would be neat to be able to go spend three four months out of the year down there yeah the right uh, three four months the, the, the right three four months so i'd like to be down there january to march yeah. and then like october through december although you know another thing we were talking about on our drive back was i bet during the summer in the morning getting out when it's still dark with light lights and just finishing as it's warming up because you can't ride in the middle of the day right i mean you can but at your own risk it's pretty fucking yeah you hot. know it's it's not too dissimilar to like the the western slope yeah you know grand junction area stuff where yeah ride in the morning um you pretty much gotta ride in the morning even at night it stays hot you know even when the sun goes down it's gonna be hot for a while yeah but yeah you get the morning riding in um and there's so much different style so many different styles of riding out there yeah. that you can do so yeah it was my second trip there um that was one of the more unique trails i've ridden and uh, Colin was asking me, he said, you know, the, the course looks boring. Well, if you ride it at nine miles an hour, it's boring. Right. If you ride it as hard and as fast as you can, it's pretty stinking exciting. Yeah, it's it's engaging the whole way through. Uh-huh. Um, and then outside of the race venue, you start to stretch out, which is what we did the next day. And um, you can get yourself buried out there in the desert. Oh, I don't doubt like, it. Like real far out there. We yeah. did. You know, our recovery ride was a, a bit of a deal. <laughs> Air quotes, recovery ride, a 55-mile <laughs> ride on the Black, Black Canyon, Canyon Trail. <laughs> Not a recovery um, ride. No, and we were, you know, we were all the way out there. There was a time when we were recognizing that we were running out of daylight yesterday, Sunday and thought, 
Like, how quickly can we get back to town? And the answer is not. You just got to keep riding this trail. Yeah, but just don't stop. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was such a good culmination of the year. What you and I have done together, what um, we've done cumulative as a group, and then now to go out there and, and really be able to take the gloves off and say, like, you can race in any format at any point in time yeah. and do very well. Um, and I am excited. You know, it's funny. You know, I'm ex- I I started looking at other 12-hour events because there's there's a lot of fulfillment to being on a team, um, and there's a lot of excitement because there's a certain point in the day where you start looking at times and results and you start strategizing because right. all the we even me you and Shane strategized a little bit the night before the race, but you just don't know you can strategize all you want until actual times start rolling in, right? right. So mid afternoon, we start looking at stuff, you know, okay, well, I'm doing this and you're doing this and they're, they're, this is what they're like. And so there's a whole, a whole exciting thing that starts happening kind of halfway through the day, uh, where you start figuring out how to optimize and maybe get a, gain a spot or gain two spots or, you know, do I have a crack at the podium or is that gone? Um, yeah, it's cool to watch like our, you know, Chad's team. Chad and Colin, Nolan and Chris. Yeah. They would move from third to first. Yeah. And then back to third. Never in second. They were never. It's like the guys yeah. in second. They were just steady. They just stayed in second the whole time. But they would be third, first, third, first. We would be fifth and then third at one point. Yeah. And then fourth and fifth and fourth yeah. and fifth. And yeah. So yeah, it is. It's fun. And then you start to recognize the names that of the of the other teams, like who's going out there, mm-hmm. and you can see, like, okay, he's going to make up two minutes. And yeah, that is a really fun kind of chess piece, yeah, aspect of the races. And have you noticed there's a lot of twelve hour races? Like this, there, is not, there's a lot. This is um, not an uncommon opportunity. You know, I'm I we had our like our our team uh, no ride around um, end of season party. And Brian Elander was asking me, what are you excited for? And I've been really struggling to find inspiration. And I think that speaks to having a very, having had a very fulfilling season, um, had some daunting stuff, um, mostly in LaRuda got through, you know, got through it, um, had a lot of success in just doing better at races I'd done before trying new stuff. Um, and so, when you feel really content about how you did for a season, it's really hard to find inspiration uh, and things to get excited about and feel like you can attack for the next year, or at least I've been struggling with that mm-hmm. um, pretty much since Austin Rattler. Um, and it was fun to find a new race format that I can start to get excited about and just add it into all the other stuff that I want to do next year. And so probably going to do Royal Gorge. Yeah. Wow. So think about how cool what you just said is because you are already registered for Breck Epic next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, I haven't paid, but yes, I'm doing Breck Epic. Right. It's happening. But it's not It's not like, hold on, your, pull up your bootstraps, folks. Join us in yeah. season five yeah, as we no. talk about Harley's quest for Breck. It's just like, yeah, no, I'm going to do that. And then, so that's how much this has changed since, you know, 2019. Yeah, since the first year. It's crazy cool where you're like, yeah, I mean, I'm doing Breck Epic, but you know, I need a thing to get excited about. Yeah, like, totally. <laughs> which is which is really cool, and I think that's going to stay open ended until you know until we get into next year. And, and I think sitting and being content is a is a good thing. You know, that came up for me as we talked about nationals on the last episode as we were recording. 
I'm just sitting here, Johnny be cool right now. And yeah, I got stuff playing the whole next year is planned already. Um, but I don't have the binoculars out yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We'll get to that right now. It's still, and I hope that's where you are. Cause that's no. And you know, I told you, I, I think maybe you were worried that I was disappointed that we didn't get a podium. Um, and I told you on the phone that I was like, a hundred percent content and happy with how the race went and how the season went. Um, and so I am really enjoying that. Um, but I also know me and I need to keep the fire lit. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I'm having this, man, I really need to start figuring things out. Yeah. Well, and also uh, in, in theme with the year, that's what racers do. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm learning that you can be content, still plan, and, and live in that space between the two. But that's what racers do. Like, you know, any serious racer knows they're going to know by middle of this month, end of this month, exactly what the whole next year is. Yeah. Um, and then start to build a plan around that. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're on the treadmill right now, you know, so it ain't going to stop. No. You know, if it does, you fall on your face and I, you don't want to mess up those new glasses. No. <laughs> so... Uh, but yeah, the, it's another one of those things also where I'll, I want to go back to this race now. Well, it's good because I just text, uh, the guy who owned that house, Bart, and just confirmed our dates and he just sent me the link. So we're already in for <laughs> nice. that house is booked anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we'll have different teams, more people. I'm sure, you know, I, it's funny to watch this race. I went there, I was going there solo in 19. And then uh, one of our no rider on teammates um, was going through a divorce. And I was like, hey, why don't you be my teammate? And that turned into the first duo. And then I was with a different no rider on teammate for the second duo. And then a third no rider on teammate for the third duo. And now we were two four mans and two so like, so we're like gizmos who get water on them. Yeah. And we're yeah. just multiplying. I mean, yeah. we're going to have, I, I promise you, we're going to need a couple houses next year. Yeah. Um, Shane and I were already, because, you and Brian were discussing something for next year that might be fun. Yeah, Brian called it a hit squad. Yeah. Which was pretty dope. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and some pretty lofty goals that are totally achievable. And, of course, he was just – that kid's race math is – 564. Yeah, he can – the way he – well, if everybody does 53-minute laps, that allows – builds this time, da, 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 and you're just like – how the fuck did you figure that out while we were sitting here? Uh, With a mouthful of sushi. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, on our drive back, me and Shane were like, well, you know, definitely us two again. We raced, we traveled to, well together. We raced well together. We room well together. Um, he was kind of my. For he was all, the Walter Matthau to your. What's the other guy's name? I don't know. Uh, I know what you're talking about. I can't think of it. Uh, you two are a couple of hens, man. You do have written, you have like 30, 30 plus hours cumulative ride time together. It's like 48 hours. Yeah. We've had, we drove to Austin together. It's 50. You're close to 50 hours. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, are you guys in love? I mean, he's a good dude. <laughs> um, I don't want to see him naked or anything. <laughs> uh, he's in good shape. Yeah. Um, but we're sitting there thinking, well, okay, well, definitely us two. And then, you know, probably Colin Smith. And then you had told us some people who might be joining the program are like, 
I mean, he'd be good. Like he could he could run fifty five minute laps. That guy, Heck yeah. Um, and, and so Amir's talking about the. Uh, he wants to do a quad. He wants to do a quad with all fifty plusers. Yeah. They could, well, they could do fast, the uh, the two hundred plus category. Screaming fast fifty plusers. Yeah. Um. So anyway, it's it's there's a so lot it's on the calendar, team. just like um, Austin Rattler is. Um, I think. I think what I'm going to do next year differently for both events is not do day drive, day pre-ride, race day, day drive, and try to bring Molly, bring the dog, yep. stretch it out, yep. have some fun. Um, There's some people doing it right to that point. Nolan is still in Arizona. Yeah, I think Bennett, Ryan is still. Bennett is still in Arizona. Elander is never anywhere static. Uh, he's still in Arizona. Yeah. Um, so – yeah, to be able to stretch it out and enjoy more of the warm versus the well, just enjoy. hammer drive, hammer drive. Yeah, that's intense. I mean, I got home Sunday night, not late. I mean, it was 8 o'clock, which I felt really good about because we slept a whole extra hour. We were supposed to be on the road at 6, and we were on the road at 7. Yeah, yeah, you guys make good time. Um, but still long days. Yeah. So, um, so we don't get long in the tooth here and beat this one over the head, guys. We're going to be in Arizona racing bikes. 12-hour format's awesome. And uh, if you train like Harley did this year, you can do anything on the mountain bike, period. That's <laughs> it. So that's why you train. Um, yeah. I'm going to change gears. Okay. Both in the speed at which I ride a bike and the oh, yeah, direction dude, of this conversation. You're, so, uh, you got to... I mean, this is the last yeah. time we're talking on microphones for, for at least six weeks. We won't talk again on a microphone together. We won't record a podcast for... For six weeks. Yeah. Um, because I'm out. You got the BHAG of all BHAGs. Yeah. And if you guys don't know what that means, that big, hairy, audacious goal. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to leave on December 26th, fly to San Diego. I'm going to meet Elander, who is also flying to San Diego from Scotland. His van will already be out there in long-term parking and inside of his van currently, as I dropped it off just, uh, well, shoot, just on Sunday night, are our bike packing rigs in all the bags, bottles, shoes, helmet, everything we need is in his van currently. It'll be in San Diego. And we are going to bike pack the Baja Divide from San Diego to Cabo San Lucas. 1,800 miles, crossing the border, very remote unsupported and we have 30 days to do it that's um no so we've had this conversation many times over that i do find myself on these bikepacking adventures cocapelli or uh, colorado trail or just a solo on the road bike or on the gravel bike down to the springs and back and i always come back saying i don't like bikepacking and for whatever reason i'm just like that like just i'm not giving up and so here we go, 30 days um, to, ride that, to ride that distance. We have to average between 50 and 60 miles a day. And our plan at this point is to ride, to ride six hours a day. That's yeah. our, our goal, ride time six hours a day. And uh, we've been mapping out what we're bringing, what we don't need, um, what can we give up, what do we need to be prepared for, what sort of like insurances should we have, and have really gone through the list several times over. And there's a lot of information online about this Baja divide from people who have done it. It's gotten popularity in the like last five years. And Brian and I had 
we made some good agreements with each other. Like, we're not going for an FKT. This isn't a time thing. We're going to be out for 30 days. So last week he said, uh, we were looking at Chad putting arrow bars on his Orbea for, yeah. for Dawn to Dusk. Yeah. And he goes, hey, should we, should we put arrow bars on the bikepack rigs? I go, Brian, what, what's the purpose of an arrow bar? He's like, well, you know, it helps us go faster. What are we not doing? Yeah. Right? Like, so really getting both of our heads as racers into that, we're just biking for the experience and to get to where we're going. And we're going to take six hours a day for 30 days, which is a 180-hour training block. Yeah, that's uh, that is the <laughs> the the epitome of the long, slow distance base. You don't need to do any more base after January. I am going to be zone two based the f up. Like, yeah. no one's base fitness is going to be that high. No, um, going into the season, and so you know, this thing came about. Brian mentioned it kind of haphazardly when we were out at the Mohican. So this is way back in May. And, and Elander has just been stuck on these websites. He'll, he'll randomly at like one in the morning when he's got like his Rain Man Reddit situation going on, and he'll type in stuff like hardest mountain bike race in the world. And now he's got a list of all of them or um, hardest mountain bike adventure in the world. And, th- and that's where he kind of stumbled on this. And he, he says to me in May, we should do the Baja Divide. And now it's May. So I was like, let's do it this winter, man. We'll do it after Christmas because – the future calendar, you can do anything. Yeah. As it got closer, I started to realize like, wow, this is like a big undertaking. It's not a let's just do it after Christmas type event. I mean, he's a 20-year-old dude with not a lot of like, I mean, zero dependence really. Yeah. Um, not that I have dependence, but I, de- I definitely have like people I, I, I roll life with. And yeah. so, yeah, we're going to do this. And then I realized, well, it's 30 days away from the athletes I coach. It's 30 days away from my wife. 30 days away from like my life, really. I guess 30 days off the grid. And so as we've gotten closer to this departure date, I definitely had that month-long panic of, I mean, can I really do this? To, well, I'm I'm still walking in this direction. So whether I have doubt or not, I mean, I'm still I'm still buying the stuff that I need. So doing it. I'm doing it. And so I got through that sort of worry and then it just got to the logistics of, okay, well, so now I you know, I have a spot device so that everyone can track us online right. and I can send out SOS messages and scripted text messages and we can communicate between each other when we don't have cell service. And I will still do my coaching calls just when I have service. Like yeah. I'll still stay in touch with people. When, and so it started to like work itself out, but it's a daunting deal, dude. And our bikes are loaded for bear. Dude, I, I, I picked up Brian's bike and it's got away almost what he does. I gave him my duffel, so I took a super lightweight, this really big but super lightweight duffel, and all of my bike pack bags and bottles, empty bottles, everything's in there, and it's all cinched up. And I handed it to him Sunday night, and uh, he grabbed it, and his arm fell off his body. So I had to like pick it up and Barbie doll it back into his shoulder socket. And I was like, yeah, dude, that's what I got to carry. Load it up. I will be, with my full water load, I'll be over 60 pounds. Yeah. Full water load. And that's because we have two spots where we have to be prepared for about two and a half, two between two and three days of no, not like you, you can't get good water, but you, you can't it's just get not water. water. And wow. so we're both scheduled to be able to carry eight liters, which means stretching eight liters. For three days is? It's a stretch. Um, Dicey. I'm giving up uh, 
coffee on demand. So I won't have a stove. I won't yeah. have coffee. I'll yeah. have coffee when I get to villages. Yeah. I'm giving up cooked food. Um, we're going to be eating whatever we can pack on the bike. Um, we're going to be giving up quite a bit of stuff. Uh, you guys also eat some really cool stuff. Oh my gosh. Cruising through a little tiny village on the Baja Peninsula and just bring us one of everything on your, whatever you have, we'll eat it all right now. And then we'll take some to go to. I'm going to use Google Translate to ask them, hey, so what's the most fish tacos somebody's ever eaten? <laughs> and then they'll have to like go to El Gordo in the village and be like, how many did you eat that one time? And he'll say 42. And I'll say, give me 43 fish tacos, please. Yeah. Um, we we're got- going to eat when we can eat. And then we're going to pedal when we have to pedal. Yeah. It's going to be super cool. I actually can't wait to hear about it. And they're, um, the fantasy of doing something like that sounds fun. I just know me and I don't like being that uncomfortable for that long. No, days one through five, we're going to be amazing. It's going to be okay. such a big adventure. Day, day one, we're leaving. I, I got us a hotel in the gas lamp district of San Diego, which is like they're downtown. And uh-huh. So we're going to go out to the most um, like ridiculous privileged dinner on the night of the 27th because we start pedaling in the morning, the 28th early. But we're going to get from San Diego, and you don't cross at Tijuana. You go all the way over to uh, Tecate, and we're going to ride. That's a, a 65-mile, 7,000-foot gain day um, with one massive, like, 4,000-foot, like, rocky road climb. And uh, we're going to do all that day one. Day one through five, you're going to be like, dude, we're doing it. Day five through 25 are going to be terrible yeah. at times and jubilant at others. This is going to be a roller coaster of emotions. And then days 25 through 30 are going to be pretty awesome to be yeah, able just to like home stretch. seeing it. Yeah. So um, we're going to be end up in Cabo at the Solmar Resort. And uh, I got some family flying down. You know, it's tight. So I can't, it's like my mom and my dad and Abby and it's tight. But uh, then four days at a resort down there if, yeah. if we make it. And if we don't make it, um, I told Brian, I'm just going to ride off into the ocean with, with rocks in my pockets. Because... <laughs> Um, not that I needed a reason or, or an excuse, but almost as just like a, like an easy social understanding from others as to like, you're going to go do what and how are you going to do that in 30 days away from like everything. And so our ETA into Cabo is my 40th birthday, January 27th. Yeah. So we're leaving December 28th and have 30 days to get to Cabo by my 20, by my birthday. Yeah. And if we don't make it, I ain't turning 40. As a living, breathing human. <laughs> Got it. That's Understood. How, that's how this is going Understood. Um, well, that'll be a good first episode for next year. Yeah. And at some point in time on that trip, um, I'm hoping to gain some sort of cool tidbits to bring back and share yeah. with you and and all that. And in the interim, I'm sure by the time we record our next episode, you will have a very clear understanding of what 23 will look like for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's a, it's already kind of taken shape, but um well, this is an unintentional season finale. <laughs> um and so um it, it's been really fun. Um you know, I look at the dashboard and I get to see all the new listeners that we have and the people who come up to us at races and um it's just super cool. You know, it's like getting the the community that we have here just further out. And, uh, so that's been a lot of fun. It's been a good season for the podcast. Um, we were a little bit light on episodes at the beginning, but we're navigating, uh, Justin's new job. (laughs) Uh, I think we've got some good, like good ways to handle that for next season. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've, as a, 
as as a a total package, it's been a super fulfilling year. Well, and I think that um, again, going back how I started the episode, the thread that's tied this thing through is I think you really came. I think you came through on your commitment that you made in my boxed up house <laughs> your empty kitchen we were moving out of um, at the end of last season and you said I'm going to make this commitment and I think that not only myself sitting here both as your friend and as your coach and as your co-captain of this machine but as just somebody who listens to these episodes they have to see like wow he did it yeah. you know like you nailed it yeah. and um and with that I know that's the energy that are going to next year so I'm yep. excited to see see where we're at until well, then, I'm going to ride a bike. Yeah. Um, thanks, everyone, for an amazing season. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you most likely in 23. See you. Go, Reed! You're done! So get the fuck out! Go, Reed!